Hey everybody and welcome to the Joe Uvoli podcast. This podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their lives to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. And if you want to be able to ask questions to upcoming guests and suggest topics or interviews you'd like to hear, subscribe to my newsletter at joeuvoli.com. Today in the show, we have Coach Dave Petramala. Coach Petramala was a Hopkins University grad. He's a member of the 1987 National Championship team. He was the nation's top defenseman in 1988 and 1989. He won the 1989 Enners Award as the nation's top player. He's named a first-team All-American three times while at Hopkins. He played for Team USA, where he won two world championships in 1990 and 1994. He was named All-World in both 1990 and 1994. He was named the best and fairest player in 1990. He was named to the NCAA Silver Anniversary Team in 1985, the all-time Johns Hopkins team, and Lacrosse Magazine's All-Century team. In 1998, he took over the head coaching job at Cornell University, where he was named the National Coach of the Year in 2000. He's currently the head coach of Johns Hopkins University. He's had national championship game appearances in 2003 and 2008, and he won the 2005 and 2007 national championships. He's widely regarded as one of the greatest defensemen in lacrosse history. He's a member of the U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame. He's the only person to win an NCAA national championship as both a player and a coach, and he's the only person to be named both player and coach of the year. Here's my interview with Coach Dave Petramala. Coach Petramala, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Good to be with you. Yeah, really, uh, really happy we're getting this chance to catch up. But um, so let's get started. Uh, how'd you get started playing lacrosse? Oh gosh, a long time ago. <laughs> um, you know, I was uh, a seventh grader mm-hmm. and I uh, had never played lacrosse in my life. And uh, I was I grew up in uh, in Hicksville, New York, yeah. and. Uh, you know, heard about, uh, you know, a lacrosse meeting and, uh, my neighbor around the corner, a guy by the name of Andrew DeQuilla, mm-hmm. uh, who played for Hicksville high school, uh, you know, was nice enough to, you know, to cater to a little kid and, you know, be nice to a little kid around the corner. So, you know, showed me the, the sport and, you know, kind of how to, you know, handle a stick. Uh, although I wasn't very good, uh, mm-hmm. he was kind enough to, you know, to at least introduce me to the game. Yeah. And I went to the uh, the first seventh grade meeting at uh, Hicksville Junior High School, uh-huh. and uh, was going through uh, all the the paperwork. And uh, you know, the gentleman at the time who was the uh, uh, I guess the high school coach, um, you know, was running things, uh, you know, for both the high school and the junior high. Mm-hmm. And uh, came up to me and asked me my name. I you know quickly and nervously told him, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, you know, why don't you think about coming back next year? You're a bit too small. Huh. And uh, that was my first introduction to uh, to lacrosse. <laughs> and as you can imagine, I went home. I cried my eyes out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as any great dad would do, my my father reassured me. Uh, I went back to baseball. And, uh, until I got to high school and then a gentleman by the name of John Espy, who, uh, interestingly enough, I got to work with for the first time, uh, you know, a a summer ago with team USA, which was really, uh, 
a great privilege and, you know, kind of things came full circle. But John Espy was my ba- freshman basketball coach. Wow. Asked me to come out for lacrosse. Uh, played lacrosse one year for him. Uh-huh. He left to go to another school, and I was uh, so disappointed uh, because I had such a great relationship with him. Yeah. Went back to baseball in 10th grade. And then <laughs> in 11th grade I was when I really started playing. I, I played defense, uh, moved myself to defense. Okay. Because I wasn't a very good offensive player, <laughs> and uh, played in eleventh grade, and have played, uh, you know, played two years of high school, mm-hmm. um, you know, eleventh and twelfth, then played four years of college, and you know, four or five years, four years after college, and then that was it. Yeah, yeah. So, what was um, what were some of the things that you did um, when you, uh, I guess, around eleventh grade, when you, I guess, started taking lacrosse a little bit more seriously, or you knew this was something you were going to do? What were some of the things that you did to get better? You know, Joe, something that was pretty interesting is uh, when I when, when I started playing, you know, in, in 11th grade, you know, I, I, I was, you know, just drawn to the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had gone back and played baseball in 10th. And, you know, after you play a year of lacrosse in ninth grade, and then you go back to baseball. For me, you know, it was like watching paint dry. Yeah. And, and that's not to say... <laughs> you know, anything bad about baseball was for me. Um, you know, I wanted a faster paced sport and I fell in love with the sport and you couldn't pry my stick from my hands. I Mm -hmm. used to walk around the neighborhood and, you know, (laughs) you know, I, I, you look back now and, uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I used to just roll out about, you know, 50 balls on my front lawn Mm -hmm. and just pick up all 50 balls. And I used to walk around the neighborhood with my long pole and, you know, bounce the ball and I dodge trees and, you know, <laughs> throw balls up in the air and bounce them. And, yeah. um, and then I had a buddy, uh, who I played high school with. Mm-hmm. We used to go out in the park right behind my house, mm-hmm. uh, no goal. And he was an attackment and, uh, we used to draw a line and yeah. we'd start at one end of the park and he had to get to the other end of the park. <laughs> and literally he couldn't go, you know, north, south. He had to go east, west a bit. Yeah, and uh, I owe him a lot. His name was Chris Pace, and I used to beat the living <laughs> heck out of him. And uh, you know that—that's how I just—I loved the sport, and the yeah. stick never came out of my hands. And we were always playing catch, uh-huh. um, you know, always messing around, um, you know. So I—I I, I was blessed to have friends that you know, we're similarly attracted and interested in the sport. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 the three or four of us, uh, you know, developed a love for the game together over those, you know, last two or three years of, of high school. That's great. That's great. Um, so basically just like a basketball player walking, walking to school with a basketball, right? You just had a stick in your hands the whole time. You know what? Pretty, pretty much, you know, yeah. and, and just like, uh, you know, basketball player going out to play some pickup mm-hmm. or one on one. We used to do that, but we'd bring our sticks over to the park, and we were always doing something with our sticks. So, uh, you know, it just was something that uh, we were all just very attracted to. Gotcha. And, and like I said, I was just blessed to to have two or three other guys that had that same, um, you know, affinity for the sport. Yeah. Um, and we were all at the same kind of place. We were all new to the game mm-hmm. and, you know, we just grew to love the game together. Yep. So did you, um, at that time, did you have any players that you wanted to emulate or any idols? Well, you know, I went from, uh, 
you know, like probably most young guys at that time, I went from having all those big concert posters of Kiss and, uh, you know, all those rock and roll bands and, uh, you know, the posters of Farrah Fawcett and Cheryl Teagues and, and, and those yep. to a room filled with lacrosse pictures. Huh. And uh, way back when, there used to be a magazine called uh, The Crease. Yeah. And uh, it was a black and white, so I'd read that all the time. And then uh, Lacrosse Magazine was a larger publication. It's not the small, uh, you know, typical magazine size that it is now. It was much larger. Yeah. And I used to hang pictures. And the guy that I really grew up idolizing was a guy by the name of John DiTomaso. He was, yeah. uh, you know, feller Long Islander, Farmingdale High School, mm-hmm. and a Johns Hopkins great. Mm-hmm. And uh I mean, I wanted the same shoes that he had. I wanted to have the gloves that he had. I wanted to tape my stick like he had. Mm-hmm. And I was just a, a typical kid that, um, you know, had an idol. And uh, and John happened to, to, to be that one. And then the other guy I really enjoyed and watched a great deal and had a chance to actually uh, play against him for one year and try out with him with Team USA was Kevin Sheehan from Syracuse yeah. University. Um, huh. You know, those two guys were the guys I really looked at, but John was certainly the one that uh, you know captured the majority of my attention. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you say you you looked up to them, I mean, were you were you watching film? I mean, I, I can't imagine that lacrosse film was really as readily available back then as it as it is now. But um, what were you doing to to sort of emulate them? You know, no, I, I wasn't watching film. Um, mm-hmm. It was really more through publications. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was the internet wasn't around then, so yeah. it was you know reading Lacrosse magazine from cover to cover. Mm-hmm. You know, looking at the pictures. Um, it was reading Inside Lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, not Inside Lacrosse. Uh, the Crease was the magazine. Yeah. It was reading that, and then you know, for me uh, at the time, you know, Adelphi and Hofstra. And CW Post were, you know, right in the area where I grew up, as you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Hofstra wasn't quite the program that they are today, mm-hmm. uh, you know, under Seth Tierney. So I used to go over to Adelphi and Post. Huh. And I, I got to know Kevin Sheehan from Syracuse from watching him play against Adelphi. And huh. then back then, Adelphi was a Division One program. Yep. Uh, I believe they actually played Hopkins one year in a playoff game. Hmm. And I used to go there on Saturdays. And, and a lot of what I learned was from, you know, watching, um, you know, yeah. I had no, 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 you know, we, in, in 11th grade, um, we had a coach, uh, very nice guy, but it was very much kind of a roll the ball out and let's play type of, uh, you know, situation. Yeah. And not until my senior year did, did our team get a lot of formal coaching, you know, uh, from a gentleman named Ed Colvert who came in and I, I think we were all oh, in yeah. shock. Um, but I used to go over to Adelphi and watch Frank Tashman and, uh, you know, and those guys play. And that's how I learned the game was just watching them play. And mm-hmm. I'd go home and just try to emulate them. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm curious cause, uh, you know, uh, so Casey Powell came on the show and, and one of his, um, one of the things that he said about, uh, who his first coaches, um, or the first coach, the co- first coach that he had was, you know, he said, he said the guy wasn't, um, he never, he never tried to, to hold him back. He never tried to, um, you know, tell him that he can't do, you know, an around the back and around the world. He just wanted the kids to go out and have fun. And since you started, uh, later, and it sounds like you started with, uh, with a coach that wasn't, um, you know, too overbearing, do you think that that, um, helped you develop, uh, almost, you know, like a fearlessness as a, as a player? 
You know what? I, I don't think so, Joe. Um, yeah. You know, my situation, you know, listen, Casey is a, you know, a world-class player and, yeah. uh, um, and, and, you know, and good for, for, for his coach for, for seeing Casey's talent and allowing him to, to do some of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasn't good enough to do that, quite frankly, Joe. Yeah. Um, you know, as a defenseman, um, I, I wasn't, you know, good enough to, you know, do, do the things that Casey w- w- was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and at, at that time, it really wasn't encouraged in, in particular huh. for defensemen. So when I played for my 11th grade coach, literally, we'd go out, we'd do some stick drills, we'd do a little half field, we'd roll a ball out and we'd play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all that other stuff that you're talking about was really done on my own. Um, okay. I, I really didn't know that I could do it um, in an organized uh, situation. I was never encouraged to do it, but I was certainly never discouraged either way. Um, I okay. just, you know, I guess I just didn't think that that was, you know, I was good enough to do it or I didn't think it was appropriate for a defenseman to do it. But back then, nobody was really doing that stuff. You know, there yeah. there was no Gary Gate, no Paul Gate, no, uh, mm-hmm. you know, n- none of that kind of style and play that I think you grew up watching yeah um, there wasn't a lot of that for me to watch so there wasn't really a lot to to think about emulating if you know what I mean gotcha gotcha so you were just you were basically you were focused on the fundamentals from the beginning is that fair to say <laughs> I was Joe I was as vanilla as vanilla <laughs> got remember I yeah. was in ninth grade John SB you know told me you're going to be a crease midfielder he goes, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to play defense, you're going to pick up ground balls, and you're going to go screen the goalie. Hmm. And that was my role on yeah. my ninth grade lacrosse team. And I'll remember, he told me, if they shoot high, duck. If they shoot low, jump. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's, that's what I needed to know. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I was just, I was a better defensive player anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the transition or the move to defense was, I, I guess, for me, a natural and normal one. I was a better defensive player in basketball as as well. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I guess it was just a natural, uh, you know, transition from you know one position to the other. And because I didn't have those kind of skills, and because I, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't either discouraged or encouraged, and I I didn't see a lot of it. Um, you know, it was just learn how to catch and throw, learn how to pick up the ball, do it with both hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and those kinds of things. So. Uh, you know, maybe this is a, a better question to, to ask later when we're talking about Hopkins. But um, so when when I was growing up, uh, you know, sort of the same situation as you. I, I didn't have a lot of access to video, and I've definitely watched you on tape. Uh, but you know, there were like five to ten second clips of you know the highlights during the Final Four and national championship, and and you going against the Gates and stuff. Um, I saw you, and I remember you as a takeaway defenseman. Um. So it was I wrong in understanding that, or if, no, if I am right, no, how, not, how did you develop that skill? Yeah, not at all, not at all. Um, you know, I don't know if I was solely a takeaway defenseman, and I'm sure there were better ones than me. Mm-hmm. But you know, the you know, I guess part of the influence of a guy like Kevin Sheehan mm-hmm. was he did take the ball away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to see that. Um, you know. What you need to remember, though, as as I grew up, the sticks were so different then, yeah. and dislodging the ball was so much easier yeah. at that point in time. Now the athletes are so much bigger, stronger, um, you know. And I, I think you got to be careful comparing eras, yeah. um, but the equipment 
was was completely different and the ability you know to dislodge the ball was very very uh, much much easier than it is today and to to do it you didn't necessarily have to work as hard to do it didn't have to take yourself out of position as much to do it uh-huh. whereas today to to dislodge the ball from these sticks mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to do yeah. so um mm-hmm. you know i think what you've seen is during the era that i played you know, there were more checkers, guys like Pat McCabe and, um, you know, Steve Kisslinger, who played at Towson, mm-hmm. um, was a guy who was, you know, a takeaway. Aaron Jones from Cornell and Steve Paletta. Mm-hmm. You know, there was more of that in our sport, and now there's less of it. And maybe that can be from coaching, but I think in large part it's from, you know, the equipment and, and the, the inability to dislodge the ball. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I, I, I hesitate to ask because I, I almost feel like you don't want to give anybody bad habits, but what were some of the things that you did to get better at that skill? Uh, you know, like I said, I had a, a buddy that would go out with me and, you know, literally it was like you drew a lo- line in the sand uh-huh. and it was uh, almost like a tug of war. I would say, you can't get to that line and I'm going to, I'm going to knock the ball to the ground before uh-huh. you get there. And for him, it was, okay, well, I'm going to hang on to the ball and I'm going to get to that line. Yeah. And, you know, we draw it, you know, 40 yards or 30 yards from where we started. Mm-hmm. And we'd go back and forth. And, you know, maybe there's some neighbors and that were sitting looking out the window. They're probably wondering what the heck we were doing. <laughs> uh, but I, I really believe, you know, my ability to have, you know, a partner to go out there with and actually play lacrosse with and do one-on-ones with like mm-hmm. that. I mean, we did it daily and, you know, he'd walk away with welts. And I mean, I was, you know, again, it was a hack and, but you got to hone your skills and you learned what you could do. You learned what you couldn't do. You learned what worked, what didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And quite frankly, it was just two, two young guys out there having fun, experimenting with things. You know, he would, you know, try to you know do a different move and see if that worked and I would try a different check and see if that worked mm-hmm. but there were no repercussions if it yeah. worked or it didn't you know mm-hmm. it was just well that wasn't very good or wow that worked and let's try that again yeah. um yeah so my my I guess my you know upbringing in, in in sport lacrosse is probably a bit odd maybe a bit different than most people's gotcha gotcha so uh so m- moving on to college what what made you decide on Hopkins you know, uh, interestingly enough, uh, you know, Hopkins wasn't my first choice. I thought I wanted a bigger school with football and, and basketball. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I quickly learned as I went through the process that, you know, I wanted to be that football and basketball player. You know, I yeah. wanted to be somewhere where lacrosse was, you know, a priority, not just to the institution, but to the community and was an important part of the, you know, the landscape of lacrosse. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I came here and, uh, you know, lo and behold, I get to, uh, you know, on my recruiting visit, I stay in John D. Tombasso's, um, you know, uh, his apartment. So, you know, you know, plus one right there, I get to stay in my idol's apartment. Um, you know, and I just recognized that the smaller school atmosphere was better for me. Mm -hmm. Um, it was uh, a more intimate academic atmosphere. You know, I think I was a, a young guy that needed a little bit more direction maybe than most. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a smaller school, Hopkins was able to provide that to me. Um, obviously, the chance to get a world-class education um, was intriguing um, as well mm-hmm. and, and, and a huge 
attraction. And then, you know, Hopkins was coming off a couple of championships and the chance to play at a school where lacrosse was the number one sport and they competed for championships. Um, you know, it, it really, once I visited, was was a no-brainer for me. I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the people were great. Um, you know, on my visit, uh, people from the players to non-lacrosse players, you know, went out of their way. They were interested in who I was and where I was from. And uh, mm-hmm. it was just a very different atmosphere for me compared yeah. to my other visits. Um, and then I made the decision, and quite frankly, if I had to do it over again a hundred times, I'd do the same thing over and over. Really? Yeah. So, you, so you felt like it was a fit right away? Uh, it was a, a great fit for me. It really was. Um, yeah. You know, I was blessed to be with great, great coaches, and you know, Don Zimmerman, mm-hmm. who was the head coach when I was here. Uh, Bill Tierney was an assistant. Uh, you know, this was back when you could have like eight coaches on the sideline, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it was a who's who of who. Yeah. Um, John Krumenacker, a great player at Hopkins from uh-huh. Farmingdale, was an assistant. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Les Matthews, um, John Hoss. So during my time here, I really was uh, blessed to to be around great coaches, and, and those guys really—they're the ones that taught me the game. I was very yeah. well coached at Johns Hopkins, and as I think back, I don't think there was ever a game that I was not prepared for. I I felt like I was always prepared for a game and a game plan by my coaches. Gotcha. Can you, um, can you talk about that a little bit more? What was the preparation like? Well, back then it was different. Um, you know, the use of film was not nearly what it is today. So, I mean, if we watched uh, one film or clips from one film, you know, that would have been a lot. Um, so a lot of our, 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 uh, preparation was done in practice. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a gentleman by the name of Jerry Pfeiffer who worked with our team and was a scout and was in charge of scouting. Uh, And Mm -hmm. he put together the scouting report. Mm -hmm. Um, and we felt like we always got a a pretty good sense for, Mm -hmm. you know, who our opponent was. And then obviously the coaches, whether at the time it was Bill Tierney or an older gentleman named Fred Smith who worked with the defense when I was here, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they put together a, a great game plan. Um, and I remember, you know, an example of that was 1987, you know, we went down and kind of got our ears boxed a little bit by the university of Maryland who had a, a just a great year that year, uh, under Dick Adell. And, um, you know, I think they were undefeated. And then we went to, uh, the national semifinals and our staff came up with a brand new game plan defensively, completely different, um, did some things that. I guess we're out of the norm. You know, we switched on uh, on screens and wound up with long sticks on middies and short sticks on attackmen. And yeah. um, lo and behold, we won the game. And I think in large part because, you know, the, the things that they put together and the positions they put us in. So, um, you know, it's one of the things that I've always taken from my time here as a player is how important preparation is. And, and it's our job as coaches to put these players and the team in a position to be successful. Yeah, yeah. And what was that preparation like for you? Were you focused more on the individual, or were you focused on more on 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 the team aspect? Uh, you know, the, the team offensive schemes. You know, we weren't allowed to focus just on the individual. That was yeah. not, that was a no no here. Um, okay. You know, it was always the team, the team, the team, and we were always, you know, brought up and weaned on. You know the. The, the team, you know, Hopkins lacrosse is bigger than each one of us, mm-hmm. you know, and that we were privileged to be a part of it. Um, 
and that we played an important role, in, mm-hmm. you know, in the success of it, no matter whether we were playing on Saturdays or, you know, a substitute or a guy who was on the scout group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our scout teams were, were great. They were instrumental mm-hmm. in preparing us for our opponent. And, uh, you know, today we take that into every game. Our scout team is as important as our starters are. So, um, you know, it was more of a, a team concept because, quite frankly, preparing for an individual was a little bit more challenging because you didn't have as much film. Yeah, yeah, So gotcha. the, the best you could get was you hope that the guy who you were covering on the scout group would give you as good a look as he could that week. And we were blessed with a group of guys that really gave us a great look. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, you know, that, that first year from, you know, since you really started playing lacrosse, I guess two years before you, you know, made it, made it to Hopkins. What was that first year? Like, what, what was that transition? Was, was it a hard transition? Uh, it was miserable. Um, <laughs> it was miserable because of me. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a, a big fish in a small pond at St. Mary's high school. My graduating class was you know, 132. Um, I had a high school coach that was really great. Um, and he really, you know, helped me you know, learn the game, you know, at, at for that one year I was with him. But he gave me a lot of freedoms, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And things that I just, you know, wasn't able to do my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was not nearly as focused as I needed to be, uh, mm-hmm. both academically and athletically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was first time away from home. I mean, for me growing up in Hicksville, you know, I thought Baltimore was a foreign country. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd never been any further, you know, I went to Lake Georgia on vacations and you know, that's about as far as I ever went. Yeah. Um, so it was a real big transition for me. And quite frankly, I'm thankful that I had some very patient people, um, you oh. know, from coach Zimmerman, uh, to then the admissions director, Jerry Schneidman, who was a former Hopkins lacrosse great. Mm-hmm. And we had a dean um, in the academic advising office who, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, was just a little bit more patient. You know, she, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what she saw, but she saw something. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I struggled my first year here. And as I said, it was no one's fault but my own. Um, it was all mm-hmm. self-inflicted. Yep. And then all of a sudden, after my freshman year, it kind of fell into place a little bit. And, uh, and you know, and then, you know, the rest, as they say, is, is history. Yeah. But uh, the transition for me was, was tough. But yeah. I don't think it was because it was anything Hopkins did or didn't do. Um, everything they had ever promised was here. The support I needed was here. Mm-hmm. I just was very immature and uh, and lacked a lot of focus. Um, gotcha. I guess if anything changed, that's what really changed going into sophomore year. Got yeah. So so that's that's the biggest change from year one to year two is just you just became more focused on lacrosse and academics and what you needed to do while you were at school. I just realized that it was important to me. Yeah. You know, and when I got to college, what was important to me was wow freedom yeah i'm away from home you know no curfew no gotta get up in the morning you know i came from a very structured home my dad uh who is my idol um Mm -hmm. you know brought me up where you get up you make your bed um you know i come from a divorced home so my father was my everything and uh you know here's a guy that was coming home from work at six o'clock and taking care of 
you know, a, a young boy and a young girl and cooking dinner and, you know, then, you know, trying to provide a, a home for his kids. So it was a pretty structured environment. And then when I got away from home, yeah. you know, all of a sudden, I mean, there was structure here. But as you know, college is different than high school and home. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, no more, you know, uh, um, you know, get up, you got to get up. No more, you know, you got to go to bed. No more, you got to be here at this time. And yeah. it was, you know, you had to be responsible. And mm. quite frankly, I was very irresponsible. And I think the biggest thing I learned was it wasn't anyone's fault but my own. Mm-hmm. And it was time for me to grow up if I wanted to do this. And if I didn't, I was going to really give away the opportunity of a lifetime. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, interesting, quick story. Um, you know, after my freshman year, uh, you know, I was so un- unhappy huh. and, you know, didn't know what I wanted to do. And all I could do was blame everybody else. Yeah. And a guy by the name of Fred Smith, who was a great coach here, sat me down. And, you know, I thought he was going to say, you know, hey, it's okay, don't worry about it, you know, we'll get it squared away, you know, that typical, you know, everything's going to be all right talk. Yep. You know, and he sat me down and said, why don't you leave? Why don't you go home? Because you know what, you're no good to yourself right now, and you're no good to us, and you need to grow up. Wow. And you're wasting the opportunity of a lifetime. And I would tell you, uh, that was a life-changing conversation for me because I went back home, uh, you know, to my, my my dorm room and was like, I can't believe what I just heard. Wow, yeah. And after some careful thought, you know, it became painfully obvious that he was right. It was mm-hmm. me that was being lazy and immature. It wasn't Hopkins. Hopkins was prepared to provide me with everything I needed to be successful, which I, you know, I used and realized over the next couple of years. So, uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting lunch with that gentleman. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. Some, some tough love, huh? Uh, um, I, you know what? I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you, what would you say to, uh, kids going into their first year, um, Almost like what advice would you give them to, uh, you know, to make sure that they are focused and that they do realize the opportunity that they're given? Well, you know, I think, Joel, uh, you know, kids today may be a little bit better prepared to, in some in some regard. Mm-hmm. In others, I think they're woefully un- un- unprepared yeah. um, because so much is done for kids these days. Um, you know, and, and I think back then we had to fend for ourselves a little bit more. Yeah. Um but, you know, academically, you know, the kids we see here are are far more prepared than I was. Um, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think um, kids that come to Hopkins, and I can only speak, you know, to Hopkins as, as the head coach here now, um, there's a level of seriousness for their academics. Uh, they are more focused. But at the end of the day, what I would tell everybody is, you know what, you're not the only one. It's a transition for a lot of people. You know, anytime you go through something, whether you're, you know, a kid who went from eighth grade to being the star on the basketball team to, you know, not making the freshman team in high school, you know, you look at it and you think you're all alone. You think, you know, you're the only one experiencing that, Uh but there are tons of kids transitioning from middle school to high school. I'm looking at my twin boys right now, transitioning from grammar school, to middle school and in grammar school, you know, they hold your hand and you know, everything's okay. And it's going to yeah. be fine. And now in middle school, it's, 
you got to be responsible, and if you don't get something in or do it right, you get knocked down a grade. Yep. So it is a transition, and it's our job as coaches um, to help ease that transition and to help them understand that it is a transition yep. and to you know make them aware that you know, as, as as they become more experienced and, and go through this process, it does get a lot easier. Now, some guys just make the transition, you know, very seamless. Yep. And there are others that don't. Um, you know, and what I, I guess the thing I would say is every individual is different. Mm-hmm. And as coaches, we've got to recognize that. Um, thankfully, you know, we've been blessed. We don't lose a lot of guys that come in freshman year and leave after their freshman year. Um you know, there's a lot of support in, in that transition from high school to college. But yep. it is a transition. That's the one thing I would say to mm-hmm. any kid is no matter how well prepared you think you are, it is different when you have all this free time. Yeah. It is different when you're not going to school, you know, from 7 in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, striking balance is an important thing to learn. And some high schools just do a better job of, you know, of uh, preparing their kids on how to do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, you know, from, from your second year on, what were, what were some of the things that you as a player did, uh, you know, to continue to get better now that you were more focused? You know, Joe, I was on a team where we, we had a group of guys, and I think it's the same here now. It's, it's kind of a cultural thing here at Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Guys that come here are lacrosse junkies. Mm-hmm. They love lacrosse, you know, yeah. and, and maybe in part because it is such an important part of our community and institution and lacrosse plays, you know, such a big role here. Um, we love to play. So, I mean, yeah. we used to play, like I'm sure you did, pick up basketball, mm-hmm. but we would go out and we'd play t-ball and we'd get trash cans and we'd, you know, play across the field with tennis balls and we'd play lacrosse for hours huh. and we'd come up and shoot, whether we were defensemen or middies, we'd come up and shoot. Um, before practice, we used to change positions. And Mm -hmm. what most people don't know is Matt Panetta, who was a first team all American attackman could have been a great defenseman. And, you know, we'd come around and we'd screw around before practice and, you know, our sticks were just always in our hands. And it was an environment where, you know, the next guy and the next guy and the next guy loved it as much as you did. And it would be like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? Sunday morning, you know, no, now back then you didn't have text, you didn't have uh, Facebook or or Twitter or any of that. Yeah. So you'd pick up the phone, or you'd go to a payphone, and you'd call your buddy and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, I'm going up to the turf. Let's go." Yeah. And the next thing you know, there'd be 25 guys up there, and you'd have four teams, and you'd play, you know, for for two and a half hours together. Yeah. yeah so yeah. we developed great camaraderie, great chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, great friendships. Um, yep. You know, you look on my staff and build one who is a great friend and, and a wonderful, wonderful coach. Um, played, we played together for two years at Hopkins. You know, mm-hmm. Seth Tierney, who uh, I played with here for two years, was an assistant here with me. Yeah. Um, so those friendships that we developed, um, you know, and our, all of our love for the game, I think, was, uh, was a big deal when we were here, and I think it still is. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. One of the things that you mentioned was, uh, you know, you guys would get together and you guys would switch positions. Um, you know, I, I think I talked about this in, in one of the previous podcasts. I think, I think it was on, uh, Bill Tierney's podcast. Um, I saw him, he was the coach of, I believe it was the, the 98 world team. And there was, uh, 
there was a practice up at Farmingdale High School and I just went to I just went to watch them and one of the things that he did was he actually jumped into the one-on-ones and uh you know and had you know somebody like Casey Powell go against them and he basically just forced them down the side and then what he said to everybody was what I just did there was better defense than anybody else has played so far and he was basically saying that you know as a defenseman really what I need to do is make the guy go where I need him to go uh, or where I want him to go. And as an attackman, I heard that and said, you know what, that's, it's really, it's really beneficial to know that because I, now I know that that's the defenseman's goal. So I'm curious, would you recommend, um, is that something you recommend to lacrosse players to switch around and play different positions so that they can see the game from different angles? Well, you know, lacrosse kids are playing at such a younger age i mean again my story is different i didn't start till late you know my kids started playing when they were you know five years old and you know thankfully i was not the one that gave them their first stick it was their mother um Uh. i just swore i wouldn't be that guy um but they play so much and quite frankly joe they play too much they play too much and i am a big believer in multi-sport athletes Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't care. I'd, I'd love my kids to play box lacrosse if they wanted to play just yeah. something different. Um, mm-hmm. I like that my kids play soccer and, you know, lac- uh, basketball and then lacrosse. Um, I think yeah. there are so many lessons to be learned and, you know, interesting story about switching positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were playing Syracuse. Um, it was 2000 and, uh, I believe 2006, and we're up at uh, Stony Brook, and uh, you know we're playing end of the game, and we need the ball back, and mm-hmm. we really don't have a takeaway defender, so we mm-hmm. call a timeout, and Greg Pizer is a senior captain for us, yeah. and I said, Greg, Greg, go get a pole. Huh. Now people probably looked at me and said, what an idiot, yeah. and because we had seen Greg before practice messing around with guys. Huh. With a pole in his hands, taking a ball away, just you know, just messing around. Yeah. And knowing we didn't have that kind of defender, uh-huh. we took Greg Pizer, uh, who was one of our best athletes, one of our strongest. Yeah. We gave him a pole, and he actually knocked the ball to the ground. Had the presence of mind to pick it up, and wow. we called the timeout. So you know, uh-huh. it, it's those moments where you learn a lot, and I would encourage people. To do that stuff, I would encourage guys when they're younger, play play different positions. Uh, yeah. My my little boy Nicholas didn't have a pole in his hand as a defender for a couple of years because he was you know he, number one he was too small, number two he was too weak to yeah. carry around a long stick. Yeah. You know it, it was it was like he, he was carrying a log around. So <laughs> he played with the short stick, got mm-hmm. to play some offense when they played indoor lacrosse. He plays with a short stick. I, I think those are valuable uh, opportunities for kids to play different positions, learn the game from a different perspective, and, and develop their skills in a different way. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So, so at what point did uh, did you become interested in coaching? Uh, it wasn't until my uh, my fifth year of college. Um, I had to leave school for a semester because of uh, a, a head trauma, uh, an accident that I had. So I had to return to school. And, uh, you know, make up the semester that I, I, I had missed because of that injury and, quite frankly, make up uh, some of the mess that I had left from my freshman year. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, at that time, I was here. Uh, Hopkins was, um, you know, practicing and playing, but I couldn't participate as a fifth-year guy. My eligibility was up. So uh, a former Hopkins alum asked me if I'd be interested in coaching uh, over at the Gilman School, you know, just to volunteer. And I would go over to practice, and I would go over to games, and I would help with the defense, and I fell in love with it. And then uh, a year later, Tony Seaman, who uh, was uh, my former boss here at Hopkins, reached out to me when I was in, oh gosh, I think I was in Australia, and uh, asked me if I would like to... um, you know, come work for him at Hopkins on a part-time basis. So huh. I, uh, I I worked for him as a part-time assistant for a whopping $3,000. <laughs> and uh, I worked at a, an aluminum extrusion factory that a huh. Hopkins alum owned so I could get to work at 6 in the morning and be out by 2 in the afternoon for 3.30 practice. So wow. that's when I kind of realized it. And I never, never even considered it, Joe. Before my fifth year of college, it was – you know, business, marketing, something like that. I came from, yeah. from a, you know, a middle-class family that mm-hmm. that's what my, my, my dad did. So that's what I was going to do. So what was the, what was the, that turning point? What made you realize that this is what I want to do? I just love lacrosse, Joe. I still do. Yeah. Yeah. I still do. I don't love playing it. Um, and I stopped <laughs> love loving playing it when I got into coaching and but I love being a part of of this sport, mm-hmm. and you know when I went out to my first practice, I was like, "This is awesome," you know. Mm-hmm. And then when someone told me I could make a living doing something I loved, yeah, um, you know that was <laughs> that yeah. was uh, and even uh, you know that was a game changer for me. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, you know what? It's not something that was planned. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't what I came to Hopkins for. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, some people say, well, you wasted that great Hopkins education to to get into coaching. And what I would say is Hopkins prepared me unbelievably well for the challenges that I face today as a head coach. And make no mistake, there are, any head coach would tell you, um, there are quite a few challenges. And and my time, my undergraduate experience and my degree from Hopkins really prepared me well for the things that uh, we encounter on a daily basis. So in the, in the same way that when you got started with lacrosse, you know, you had idols like Di Tommaso, uh, did you develop some idols, some coaching idols once you realized that you wanted to coach? Uh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, we all have people that mentor us. We all have people that we look up to, um, you know, and I'm not the person or player that I, that I was or hopefully am today without those people. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, my father obviously was my greatest mentor. Uh, he's, he's my everything, uh, to this day. And I I know, you know, that better than anybody. I know your relationship that you had. Um, so, you know, him, um, there was a gentleman named Fred Smith, who I told you the story about earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. he was the gentleman that told me it was my fault. Why don't I pack up my stuff and head home? Yeah. Um, you know, and other than my father, he was one of the first people to ever really tell me not what I wanted to hear, but what I really needed to hear. Yeah. Um, he was fabulous. Uh, Bill mm-hmm. Tierney was great, still remains, um, you know, uh, a guy that I look up to. Um, yeah. You know, I think in today's day and age, people are so um, afraid or hesitant to, to offer credit out to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're not who we are without those people. And Coach Tierney... Yeah was willing to, you know, when I got into coaching, you know, talk to a young guy, tell a young guy, 
you know, the way the world works and, you know, uh, to, 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 to teach me the right way to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, so him, uh, you know, obviously Don Zimmerman, who was my coach and then, you know, Dave Cottle and, you know, Tony Seaman were two guys that I worked for that you can't, you know, look past those guys because I learned how to coach under Dave Cottle. Um, mm-hmm. my one year at Loyola college with him, I yeah. learned how to work as a coach I learned how to prepare as a coach. Um, it was just a tremendous experience. So those are just a few of the guys that you know I've been blessed to to learn from. So specifically, as a young assistant, um, you know, either at Loyola um, or you know wherever, what, what were some of the what were some of the most valuable lessons that you learned those first years? Well, I learned work ethic. You know, mm-hmm. and you can't be in this business today if you don't have a work ethic between mm-hmm. recruiting managing your own people, um, mm. administrative stuff, and then coaching. Qu- quite frankly, the, the most disappointing thing is I think the coaching is the least of all the things we do. Um, uh. You know, you've got uh, a team, you know, anywhere from 40 to 50, 17 to 23-year-olds. Um, mm. They're the worst decision makers in the world. Um, <laughs> and they're the most exciting young men to be around in the world because yeah. – they're at such a formidable age. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's a challenge, but I learned a work ethic that, you know, you just can't do it when it's convenient to do it. So there were mornings where it was six 30 and there were nights to midnight. And there are a lot of those still today. Um, you know, Bill Tierney really taught me a valuable lesson as a young coach and how important relationships are, whether it's in recruiting whether it's in with your own team or whether it it, it was in life, um, yeah. And I've really taken um, that lesson from him, and we try to develop relationships with our guys, with our recruits, um, mm-hmm. you know, with our, um, you know, just in life. That was a valuable lesson um, yeah, that he and my sure. dad both taught me. Mm-hmm. You know, so those those are a few things, and then obviously, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you can always learn. Um, yeah. you know, one of the things I've learned from Bill Belichick, who you want to talk about a great mentor, um, mm-hmm. but in a different sport, you know, here's maybe arguably the greatest coach ever, or at least co- football coach ever. Yeah. And what I've learned from him is how important preparation is. And, you know, I watch him go back to games years prior when he's preparing mm-hmm. for a team that they're going to play because they ran a play eight years ago that he thinks they might run again. And we've yeah. done that here. Um, and the other wow. thing he's really passed on to me and I've learned is how important listening is. He's as good a listener and he is always searching for a better way to do it. Another way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a, a unique perspective. Um, and, and uh-huh. for me, I could become a better listener. So that's something that I've tried to work on, you know, through yeah. his mentorship. Yeah, that, that was actually something that I that I wanted to, that I wanted to ask. Um, how did you get connected with Coach Belichick? I know he's a big lacrosse fan. He um, is. He's yeah. an Annapolitan, so he's from Annapolis. Dad okay. was a uh, uh, a coach down at Navy, uh, so he yeah. was around many of those great Navy teams. And uh, as he told me, he used to come up to Homewood Field and hop the fence and sneak into the games. Huh. Um, I got to know him through a young woman who was one of our trainers here who was best friends with coach's daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. They went to high school together. And, okay. you know, she just said, you know what? You and coach would hit it off. You guys would really like each other. Yeah. And we spoke over the phone. Um, you know, it's an interesting story 
about how we uh, first came into contact with each other over the phone. I'll save that for uh, another day. But <laughs> we, the first time we spoke, we spoke for you know a good hour and a half over the phone. Wow. And it was as easy and as you know free flowing a conversation. And he couldn't ask enough questions about us and Hopkins lacrosse, and I couldn't ask enough about him and you know the yeah. NFL and the New England Patriots. And now we talk, whether it's via text or phone, pretty much weekly. And really? uh, it's been yeah. a great, great friendship. Um, that's, not that's only great. do I learn a lot, but I've got a, a really great friend there. Are you um are you calling on him for for coaching advice at all? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know when a situation arises, I'll ask him how he would handle it. Um, uh, you know, I asked him when we came off our national championship. You know, how did he handle you know his Super Bowl? Um, uh, you know, what are the challenges that he faced? We talk a lot about you know players and player motivation and how to handle you know, challenging situations. And, you know, I've been blessed that he's asked my uh, opinion, um, you know, I was and, just gonna uh, ask. Huh. it's been a lot of, it's been just a lot of back and forth. And, uh, you know, one of the highlights for my, of my summer was we had camp. He came over, we sat in my office for three hours and we just talked. That's awesome. And it's nice to talk to someone who, who has an affinity and an understanding of your sport, but maybe yeah. isn't so entrenched in it as a mm-hmm. coach of that sport that you yeah. can get a different perspective. Um, you know, so it's been, uh, it, look, I, I consider myself blessed to, uh, to know him and call him a friend. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm curious. Can you, can you talk specifically about maybe one thing that, uh, that you've learned from him? Uh, you know, there, I mean, there's been so many, but you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, yeah. you know, whether it's preparation, I mean, he's, it's well documented what a great preparer and how well his teams are yep. prepared for games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I like that he does is they change. It's mm-hmm. never just been the philosophy. We're just going to do what we do and we're going to do it better than you. Yep. It's been, you know, this week we play this way, this week we play this way, this week we go no huddle, we play fast. Next week we grind it out. We run the ball, we play mm-hmm. slow. Um, I, I've taken a lot from that in that in particular defensively, um, you know, we are multi-schemed and, um, you know, we try to change and, and, you know, you try to take away your opponent's best guy and yeah. force other players into different roles, make a feeder, a dodger, make a dodger, a shooter or a passer, you know, make a, a guy that draws slide slides and moves the ball, make them score goals. Um, yeah. You know, those are all things that we can learn from other sports, um, and, and I've learned from him. But I would tell you, Joe, the most important thing I've learned about is listening. Um, you know, sometimes we all think we know it all, and we all have yeah. the answers. And yeah. there are there's always someone a little bit smarter, um, a little bit more aware, and yep. I've tried to really become a better listener, whether it's at the clinics, the coaches' convention. And mm. if I can take one tidbit away um, – whether it's a drill, um, you know, we can learn so much from other guys. There's a lot of very yeah. good lacrosse coaches out there, and we can learn from other sports. Basketball is mm-hmm. so similar to our sport yeah, for that, sure. you know, we can learn so much from them, their terminology, mm-hmm. um, some of their principles. So I've, I've tried to really take what he does there, and, and I've learned from him that that's important to do. 
That's great. That's great. So, um, so, so back to you, you know, as a young coach, when, when you became a head coach, what shaped you more as a head coach? Was it your playing time or your time as an assistant coach walk, uh, working alongside, um, you know, coach Tierney and, and coach Seaman and everybody else? Um, so you ask me why I got out of playing and into coaching and, and stopped playing. Um, no, I'm curious, like what, uh, as you became a head coach, what shaped you more as a head coach? Was it remembering what it was like to be a player or was it the lessons that you learned as an assistant coach? Uh, you know what? I would say both. Uh, you know, I think mm -hmm. maybe more, most importantly here at Hopkins, mm -hmm. you know, my time as a player, the things that we did or, or maybe didn't do, um, mm -hmm. the things that we had or didn't have, I think that's shaped um, a big part of the culture that we've tried to create here. And, mm -hmm. you know, success starts with your culture, Joe. Um, yeah. You know, you know that. Yeah, um, sure. I haven't been, you know, in, you know, in, in, in two great programs. Um, the culture that your, your young men are, are in, you know, molds them and shapes them not only for success here, but most importantly for success when they get out of college. Yeah. So I would tell you that, you know, my time as a player here at Hopkins – really helped to shape the culture that we were looking to create, helped mm -hmm. us to say, hey, when we were here, this was important. We need to get back to that. Or when we were here, we didn't have this, whether it was you know, some kind of academic um, support in a specific area or um, internship uh, opportunities. Mm -hmm. We've really used those, our time here for that. Um, but my time as an assistant coach really has shaped me philosophically, um, yeah. you know, from working for Dave Cottle and understanding the kind of work ethic you need to exude to be successful, um, mm -hmm. to, you know, talking with coach Tierney about relationships and, 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 you know, kind of taking that and putting it into play in the recruiting portion of things. And, uh, mm -hmm. um, and then other coaches in basketball, football. So, um, you know, for me, I'd love to tell you I came up with it all on my own, and I'm that smart a guy. But <laughs> quite frankly, I'm not that smart a guy, and uh, I've been blessed to be around great people. And maybe I'm just smart enough to to know something good when we see it, or you know, take an idea and run with it and grow it. Um, yeah. And, and and that's kind of been our approach. Yeah. What's the What's the line? The best artist is the best artist steal. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. <laughs> you know, you, you look at it, it, you sit down and you watch film, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden you see, well, they're running this offense, and the next year you see four other teams running that offense. Yeah. And you're saying, yeah. well, oh, look, look, look what's happened. You know, yeah. it's you know everybody's copycat and everybody. You know, mm -hmm. it's the people that can um, do that confidently and not feel like. You know, hey, we're copying. You're just doing what's best for your team there. Um, and then it's the people that can, you know, create some new ideas and think outside the box mm -hmm. and be innovative that really can can gain an advantage. Yeah, for sure. Um, what What are some of the things that you do? Uh, I, I sort of want to talk about that a little bit more. What, what are some of the things that you do to think outside the box? Well, you know, again, um, you know, every place is different. And I think you have to, you know, we can't coach the same way here 
as mm-hmm. someone or, or another coaches at coaches at another program. You know, our culture here has to be different than, than other places mm-hmm. because they're different institutions. Same holds true for those other places. Yep. You know, we're not trying to be someone else. We need to be ourselves. We need to be who we are, what we are, and do things the way we feel comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a really important thing to do is you have to be yourself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of thinking out, outside the box, you know, I just think you need to be willing to change. In today's day and age, if you're not willing to change, you're you're going to be in trouble. So just take recruiting. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd much rather recruit juniors and seniors. Mm-hmm. But if we're gonna, if the landscape is saying we're going to recruit freshmen and sophomores, then you know, then we're going to do it, and we're going to do it well, and we're going to do it really well because that's what we have to do to be successful here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at us offensively. Um, we've changed dramatically the last two years or three years, um, you know, mm-hmm. three years ago, coach Benson and I felt like we weren't putting enough points up on the board. We weren't taking advantage of our personnel enough. And quite frankly, the personnel we had dictated a change. No longer did we have those big horses at the midfield that could just run downhill at you and either throw the ball in the goal or pull past it and, and play. Yeah. Um, we had different kind of talent. Um, smaller, maybe quicker, maybe more skilled, but maybe not as big and strong. So we moved from, you know, a pretty, um, you know, downhill, north-south dodging type offense to, you know, more screening and more picking. And as we, you know, investigated it, we did it through basketball. And we did it through talking to some, uh, you know, other coaches and some Canadians and asked them, how they teach it, what they do, why they do it, how they feel it works. Mm-hmm. And then we put together our vision. And quite frankly, Coach Benson and I have been talking about trying to do that for the last, you know, for five years, not, not mm-hmm. the last three. We yeah. just didn't think we had the personnel to do it. And, you know, yeah. the change, you know, was, you know, thinking outside the box for us. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't your typical Hopkins offense. That's for darn sure. Yeah. Um, and the change took a little while our first year and then our second year we really saw the benefits of it and you know the hope is now in year three when we've recruited guys to fit this system and our guys know it better and we teach it better um, Mm -hmm. that we'll be more successful with it gotcha gotcha makes sense um so uh, walk us through what's a typical practice like at hopkins um, you know, it's, it's structured, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, some, some guys are, you know, less structured and it's, you know, they sit down, you know, before practice and quickly jot down a couple of things and, uh, yeah. and then they go, I- I'm not bright enough to do that, Joe. I need a schedule, you know, <laughs> and, and if I, I have enough trouble staying on schedule and if I didn't yeah. have one, we'd probably get one drill done and that would be it. And we wouldn't yeah. move on until we got it right. So mm-hmm. we, our practices are planned to the minute. And then there's a minute in between every drill um, to give us a chance to, to get together, change jerseys, and, and get to the next drill. Um, you know, we, we try to, to change it up this year. Uh, you talked about thinking outside the box. You know, we've gone out and tried to create or, or emulate, which I want to make sure we give credit where credit's due, mm-hmm. drills that other teams are using. Um, you know, so we feel like we need to improve off the ground. So how are we going to okay. do that? So we've kind of asked around, what's your favorite ground ball drill? 
and we've implemented some different drills that our guys have never seen before. Um, the general consensus is they like it. Um, you know, it's fresh, it's different. Um, we've tried to create different ways to, to do what we're doing. So, you know, it's stretch, um, it's stick work and, you know, but sometimes we'll come out instead of going right to a stick work drill, we'll go right to a transition drill because you know, as well as I do, you know, you stretch, you do your stick work and then you got five minutes before you play the game, you got the national anthem and then you got to go play after being cold. Yeah. So we, we're trying to do a better job of creating um, game-like situations every day. Um, yep. You know, when we scrimmaged this past Saturday as an inter-squad, we did it just like a game. We warmed up, we went back inside because that's what we do in a game. So we're trying to simulate what we're doing. So practice is pretty structured. There's always some kind of ground ball component, always some kind of transition component. Uh, we've tried to do more of that than ever before. Um, you know, there's, we, we're trying to incorporate multiple things in one drill. So, you know, out of a, you know, a four on four drill, you know, we do this rapid fire four on four where, you know, you play to a whistle, another ball's thrown in immediately, whistle, another ball's thrown into immediately. So now, you know, we're working on four and four offense and defense, dodging, you know, screen play, pick play, but we're also working on playing between the whistles. And instead of the drill, you know, the whistle blowing next group in, they got to work to locate, get a man uh, offensively. They got to get to an open area. So we're trying to, to, to multitask a little bit and then fit several things into one drill. Gotcha. Gotcha. So throughout the season, um, what, what are you doing to motivate your players specifically? Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, our hope is, is that we've recruited self-motivated guys and we're creating a culture where the guys motivate each other. Uh, we talk a lot about, you know, when an older guy comes up to shoot, he always brings a younger guy. So yeah. when John Crawley comes up, he brings Drew Sapinski with him. When Nick Field comes up, he brings Pat Foley with him. And we want to create a culture where the, the following year, the following two years, that senior graduates and that freshman is now a sophomore, and he starts to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So we hope that we're, we're creating a culture where there's accountability, there's self-motivation. Uh, mm -hmm. But for us, that motivation changes. It changes weekly. I mean, last year we dealt with a tragedy, and our yeah. approach had to change and be different. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this year um, our approach has to be different with a with a huge change in leadership um you know we may have to do a little bit more motivating early on mm -hmm. uh, until these leaders come around and, and develop um to their full potential so you know every week is a bit different um there are some some games as you know well you don't have to say a word your yeah. guys know exactly who they're playing and how good they are mm -hmm. and there are other games unfortunately they're still teenagers and they still, you know, don't treat everything the same. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they look at another team and go, ah, they're not as good as the team we played last week. Yeah. And now those are the games as coaches we lose sleep over. So uh -huh. the hope is that we're creating a culture where our guys compete against the game and not just their opponent. And then our guys don't focus on the outcomes. They focus on the things that we need to do on a daily basis to be successful. And, and that is really hard, Joe. Um, yeah. You know, Pete, we're all, we're all uh, creatures of habit, and we all get comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. And 
the hardest thing I think as a coach, or one of the hardest thing, is to guard against comfort. Um, you know, to keep our guys just every day. I, I I need to be better today than I was yesterday. I yeah. need to give everything that I can. And you know what? A true worker is a guy that works every day, not yeah. a guy that works you know every other day. That's not really a worker. Mm-hmm. A real worker works every day. So I I think it's all cultural that we're you know we're, we're hoping helps you know in our motivation. But but obviously different games have different themes. Um, yeah. You know, and and different lives. You know, each game's got a different life of its own. Yeah. So, what are you doing in those situations where I mean, because because like you said, it, it's it's inevitable, right? You, you play one team one week, which might be the best team in the country, and then you play another team, which is a little bit you know further down the line. Um, what are you doing in those situations to motivate the team to make them realize that they need to treat this in the same way that they treat the best, you know, one of the best teams in the country? Well, number one, we, we, we as coaches can't change. You know, we have to be consistent. And, you know, yeah. I'm consistent. You know, we could play Team A that's not even ranked, that's a first-year program, and I'm going to treat them just like I do, you know, Ohio State, North Carolina, Virginia. Um, my, uh, my staff and my approach isn't going to change at all. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important is that we, you know, our consistency of message is exactly the same. Um, mm-hmm. So if they're seeing us act the same way every day, then the hope is that you know they'll take and, and run with that and act the same way every day. Gotcha. Um, the other thing is, you know, you can't let it go. If you see it and you see them start slipping, you got to let them know. Um, yeah. You know, if that means we got to stop a drill and we got to get on the end line and you know prove a point, then that's what we have to do. If we got to go in to film the next day and mm-hmm. break down the film and say, take a look at our effort here, and then mm-hmm. show them the week prior and say, take a look at our effort here, mm-hmm. look at the difference. This is going to impact our performance because our daily behavior impacts our performance. You know, you do that. You do what you have to do as a coach to, to, to make the message clear. And, and the hope mm-hmm. is that you create a culture that's just about getting better every single day. But like I said, mm-hmm. that's a really hard thing to do. Yep. Yep. I'm curious because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I I never got the opportunity to play for you. But, uh, you know, even when I played against you and when you were recruiting me and everything like that, um, you know, uh, you mentioned the 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 importance of building relationships. And, uh, you know, you I'm sure anybody listening can tell you you're you're a very personable guy. And I would imagine that. Uh, and, I, and I've talked to some players that you've had, uh, you know, you've had, you make, you have some great relationships with the players that are on your team. How do you balance um, having a great relationship with the players on your team, but also being their leader and being their coach and being their boss? Well, I, I think it's like parenting. And, yeah. you know, I think we sometimes live in a world where we're all worried about being friends and not, you know, being leaders. Um, you know, I, I, we talk to our guys every day. And, you know, our guys talk, well, we're best friends. And mm-hmm. so we tell our guys, you know, if you're best friends, then, you know what, I have a best friend. You know who he is. He's Ronnie Klausner. You know Ronnie. And my job isn't to tell Ron what he wants to hear. My mm-hmm. job is to tell Ron what he needs to hear. That's yeah. what a best friend does. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my job with these guys here is is to be their coach, to be their mentor, to be their leader. Um, you know, you got to wear a lot of hats as a parent. Well, you got to wear a lot of hats as a coach because, quite honestly, we're their parent while they're away from home. Yeah. And 
I, I do take that job seriously, and I am very proud, Joe, of the relationships that I have with a lot of our guys. Obviously, you're closer with some guys than others. It's just the way it works. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I would tell you I'm a very different person than probably uh, what people see, you know, on the television or, you know, on the practice field. Uh, mm-hmm. What you are out there isn't necessarily what you are behind a closed door or in an office. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we teach our guys, you know, you know, this year, you know, the core values, you know, are important. You know, one is selfless. Another one is character. You know, another one is toughness and another one is detail oriented. Those are our four va- core values for this year's team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way we approach it is, you know, we expect our guys to treat everybody with respect, not just the head coach, but everybody. Hold the door for someone, take your hat off when you walk in a room. And these are the skills we're trying to teach them because they're not just lacrosse skills. They're winning and losing in life skills. And we are blessed, Joe. We have a lot of good kids. We really do. Um, We've got some great families and some really wonderful young men. Um, So for me, you know, walking that fine line between having a relationship with them and, uh, you know, and being friendly with them and then being their leader or coach, I I haven't really had to worry about that. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. if you've seen me out on the practice field, um, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, the, you know, where the relationship stands and it's about getting a job done. Um, I think our guys, I I think there's clarity, uh, I guess is the best way to put it to, you know, how our relationship's going to be. I will be there for them. I will do everything and anything I can do for them within the rules. Um, I'll hold them accountable. And this goes for my staff. Um, and the message from the staff is very consistent. Uh, but we're going to tell them the things that they don't want to hear. We're going to ask them to do things they don't want to do. We're going to put them in uncomfortable positions to make them better. And we make that clear from day one when they get here. That's great. You know what? I, uh, I'm i looking down at the clock. We're actually going a little over than what I told you we would, and I, and I appreciate it. Um, I think that this is a good place to end because that was a great answer. Um, but I do have uh, one question that I ask every guest that comes on the show. Um, what are three things, and it doesn't have to be just, just lacrosse, what are three things that people should do every day to get better at whatever it is they're doing? Um, good question. Well, you know, I, I think one thing you, sh- you, you should always do is, is think or reflect at how fortunate you are. Um, you know, we all have bad days and quite frankly, you know, as I look at my life, I've been truly blessed. Um, I look at some of the things that other people have to deal with and, um, you know, I, I think back to, you know, gosh, how fortunate I am. For me, I need to do that because I can get so entrenched in what we're doing here. I need to make sure I keep perspective. So I think yeah. you should every day think about, you know, how, you know, how much or how fortunate, how much you have and how fortunate you are. Um, yeah. There's always someone, Joe, that has it tougher has less, has a more challenging situation. So that's one. Number two is, you know, I tell someone I love them every day. And, you know, obviously that's my kids a lot. Um, you know, and whenever I'm with them, I try to hug them. Um, I, I, I have been a part of two situations where I've lost two players, one here and one after he graduated. And one of the lessons that I, uh, that I learned was, um, 
to hug my kids and, and tell someone you love, love them every day. Um, mm-hmm. and I try to do that now. It may be the same person every day, yeah. <laughs> but, or the same, you know, people every day, but I do. And then the other thing that I'm, I, I'm trying to work on is I'm trying to be better at forgiving. Um, mm-hmm. a gentleman I know who lost someone, um, you know, said to me, David, you know, the greatest gift that you can give anyone is forgiveness. And sometimes, Joe, I'm not the most forgiving guy. Um, you know, I guess that's, you know, you know, Giovoli, Petromala, uh, the Italian yeah. in me. I can, the Italian. Tend to, <laughs> I can tend to hold a grudge a little bit too long. And, uh, you know, I guess there are plenty of people that probably need to forgive me, and I hope they do. So, you know, that's another thing that I try to do is, you know, I try to forgive if, if the situation warrants itself uh, every day. That's that's great. That's great. Well, listen, Coach, I, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show. And, and I don't want to put you on too much of the spot, but I, you know, I, I, I just want to say you you have really, you know, stuck your neck out for me. And I haven't even been a player on your team. Um, you've done some really good things for me and for my family. And I really appreciate that. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I, I just, uh, thanks for coming on the show and I'm sure that we will definitely talk again because it'd be great to, um, you know, get a part two to this story, but, uh, but again, no, thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. Coach. My pleasure. It's great to catch up with you. It's been far too long and, uh, you should know I'm, uh, I'm really proud of you. You've, uh, you've done great things and you've, you've made yourself a man. Your dad would be proud and, uh, thanks, I'm proud coach. of you. So keep it, keep up the great work, man. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Joe Yvoli podcast. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. You can find more episodes on joeyvoli.com. And if you want to be able to ask questions to upcoming guests and suggest topics or interviews you'd like to hear, subscribe to my newsletter at joeyvoli.com. You can follow me on Twitter at joeyvoli. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.